Yes, we're in week nine of our series to help set the stage for today's um, unwrapping of a couple of verses, kind of our hike through them. Notice the symbol and seal on the screen, would you? It's from the FDIC, and you've seen this seal and symbol a good bit if you've entered into a bank or a financial institution. Uh, this simply says to you, the ones with the money, <laughs> that up to a certain amount, it is guaranteed. It's protected. It's secure. This is what the seal is to communicate. And so as a citizen of our country, as a citizen of the United States of America, this is good news. In fact, here's the official promise from the FDIC. And I quote, that your money is backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. So as a citizen, at least to a certain level, I think the current amount is $250,000. That's somewhat comforting, assuring. But as a believer, that doesn't hold water. In fact, as a believer, you have something far deeper and far greater and far more securing than that seal or that symbol. In fact, you don't even have a something. You have a someone. And he is the Holy Spirit of God. He's our seal and our guarantee. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Open your Bibles to that section of Scripture just for a few moments. And let's talk this morning about what it means to be sealed in Christ. This is the seventh blessing listed in these first 14 verses, our ninth week in this section. And we've been looking at the various blessings that come to those who are in Christ. This week, we're seeing that because we're in Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And what I want to do this morning is this. I'd like to kind of take a, a deeper dive, even though it won't be very deep in the sense that because there's so much about the Holy Spirit we could talk about. This morning, we're just going to look at one aspect. We're going to kind of look maybe uh, closer at the actual text. And then, as this concludes, we're going to back away and see the full 14 verses again, just in a brief moment. So that's kind of our goal. We're going to kind of look closely and then back away, and I think you'll see really how all the 14 verses are, are lining up to communicate one real simple message to us. But first, a closer look at this seventh blessing, what it means to be sealed in Christ. Let me read for you Hebrew, uh, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, so maybe you're wondering who the you is there. That's the Gentile believers in this congregation. Paul in verse 12, he referenced those who were the first to hope in Christ, signifying there those were the Jews, based on Romans 1.16, who received the gospel first, then the Gentiles. So here he's saying, yes, there are those among you who were the first hope in Christ. Now there are those Gentiles. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed. Say the word with me, church. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, it could reference the fact that the Holy Spirit was promised, or it could reference the fact that the Holy Spirit has promises of comfort, of illumination. I think both fit. He's called here the Holy Spirit of promise or the promised Holy Spirit. And then it says here in verse 14 that he is the guarantee of our inheritance. 
Remember last week, the word inheritance? That was our main thought. We saw that we are an inheritance and we have an inheritance. Here, the Holy Spirit's the guarantee of this inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So notice two words here that describe the work and ministry and even the person of the Holy Spirit. He's called our seal and our guarantee. Circle those words in your Bible. Let's talk about them just for a few moments. The word seal is used multiple times in the New Testament. As you look at those different uses, you'll find that, that a few uh, meanings kind of emerge. In Matthew 27, it's used of Christ's tomb. So we see the idea of keeping something in. The stone was sealed. In 1 Corinthians 9, uh, Paul uses the word seal to describe the Corinthian believers and says they were the seal of his apostleship. In other words, their lives or their testimony kind of authenticated his ministry. In Revelation 7, we see that the word seal is used to talk about how God is going to uh, seal the foreheads of the 144,000. So in that time, there'd be no danger or um, damage to them. They'd be protected. So in that sense, they're keeping something, God's keeping something out. So three types of ways to see the word seal in the New Testament. It keeps something in. It establishes legitimacy or authenticity, and it keeps something out. So you put that in the pot, stir it all together. We come up with really just a couple of words that I think give us a clear understanding of what the word seal means. It means authenticity and security. And this is what the Holy Spirit provides and gives. In fact, this is what he is to those who are in Christ. Now, don't make this concept harder than it is. It's really quite simple. And though it's historical and we kind of see some ways it's used in this culture, we, we, we do this a lot today. Let me first of all just mention a couple of ways that we see this in that culture in, in his, historically. Uh, often kings would take their ring, they would dip it in hot wax, and they would a seal, or I should say affix that seal to a document or letter. When the wax would harden, it would form a way for the person who receives that letter or document to know that it came from the, the right king or the emperor. And as long as the seal wasn't broken or torn, they knew that it was secure as a document. So I hope you're tracking with this. Just kind of a historical way to see that the seal was often a king's ring. This same word's used, by the way, in extra biblical literature to talk about folks who belong to different pagan cults. And the word used is they were sealed, or we might even use the word tattooed. They were marked with a sign or a symbol, a letter or a picture that would say, oh, you belong to that group or this group. This is pretty common today in some ways. For instance, uh, ranchers will brand a calf, a year old calf. They'll heat the branding iron red hot. And on its flank, they'll, they'll sear their seal, indicating that calf belongs to certain rancher. Uh, it provides security and protection. Uh, we've done this, in fact, in different uh, ways with mail. Some of you have done this. You've received a letter a request to write a reference letter and they'll want you to write the reference letter, put it in an envelope and then you not only seal the flap, but then they want you to sign across the flap. Maybe you know, some of you have done that indicating that, okay, when the person receives the letter, not only has the flap not been opened and perhaps resealed like, you know, some covert way, you can tell if your signature has been messed with and opened. And so it's kind of a, a way to say this letter has been securely delivered and signed by the actual author. Those are all just ways that we understand the word seal. And this is all that God is saying here. The Holy Spirit 
is the sign that you belong to God. He's God's signature across the, the seal of your life, so to speak, the fold of your life. The, it's the Holy Spirit. And he gives assurance. He gives security. Paul would say in Romans that our spirit bears witness with God's spirit that we are the children of God. So see the idea of assurance and security? That's the Holy Spirit's role, job, to provide that for those who are in Christ. Notice the second word used. It's the word guarantee. Used about three times in the New Testament. Two of the, other, two of the times are in 2 Corinthians. I think chapter 1 and chapter 5. The other times here in Ephesians. And this word just simply means first installment. And what you're going to find is this, that if you read every usage of this word in the New Testament, every context has the, the, um, um, the sense of the future, like something's going to take place later. And so it makes sense then that this word, which means first installment, would be used. Because what God is saying is the Holy Spirit is the, and here's the word you're thinking, down payment for what's to come. He's our first installment. Or if you're older, you might use the words, he's our earnest money. Not used much today. Same concept. He's our pledge that the rest of the promises will be delivered. So, so these aren't hard concepts, both seal and guarantee. I think we understand them. We've seen them in our culture. We know what God is saying here, that the Holy Spirit uh, seals us, marks us, shows us to be authentic, and then also guarantees that what we've received is just the beginning and God will deliver the rest. So think of this word, assurance. That's what the Holy Spirit brings. He brings confidence. When we bought our home in 1996, uh, we were looking, uh, we just moved here in fact, and so we were looking at different homes and we had a frustrating day, didn't really find what we were looking for. And so we were actually leaving Ankeny to go back to our rental and we were going east on Southeast 3rd Street. And Julie just happened to spot a house on the left for sale by owner. It was about 8.30 or 9 at night, probably too late to call. But she said, we should call anyway. It's like, do you want to call? So anyway, I don't think we had a cell phone then. I'm not even sure I remember. All I know is we turned left on Delaware, went to KFC, bought Brett and Bethany about six ears of corn, we were from Atlanta, so we didn't eat corn that much. But up here, it's like, man, this is the place to eat corn. So we bought a bunch of corn on the cob, put it in front of them, and they gobbled it up. And I think either we used a phone there. I'm not even sure now. My memory fails me. But we called them, and they said, sure, it's not too late. Come on by. So they finished their corn. We got in the car. It's about 9 o'clock now. We go over to Southeast 3rd. We loved the house. And before we left, we left them earnest money. We left a down payment, debt. Uh, would say, we're going to deliver the rest of the funds later. It was kind of our way, not just of proving, but really of proofing. Like, hey, this is designed to be kind of a fail-safe. If we don't show up, you get to keep this money. So we're going to show back up. We want it to go to the house. And so that's kind of how that works. It's just a down payment. It's the first installment. This is what the Holy Spirit is, and this is what he does. He assures. He, he provides the guarantee. He is the guarantee that all that God has promised will be delivered. Now watch this. We'd all admit that with men and women, sometimes our promises, our promises that they're not uh, fail-safe or foolproof, are they? Sometimes we don't come through on keeping our word. But here's some great news, church. 
every one of God's promises will be kept. He's given us the Holy Spirit as proof that he will keep every one of them. His character will not allow him to do anything otherwise. Taylor talked about the character of God earlier in our singing. God's character demands that his conduct then be just like his character. And the Bible says that God cannot lie. So guess what? When God has promised to deliver us an inheritance, one that is in heaven, reserved and unfading for us, you can be sure it will be delivered. He will make good on every one of his promises. This is why the Holy Spirit is so important to believers. He assures us of this, and he secures us and authenticates who we are, that we will receive this, and that we actually are this. In fact, notice an interesting phrase in these verses. Nose back in the text for a minute, would you? He says in this last part about guarantee that we are the, the Holy Spirit's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. In this wording, this translation, and I think it's a good one, by the way, the sense is that the possession is something we're going to receive, and I, I think that's biblical. Peter seems to say that, and so we do know that the inheritance is something we receive. But this wording is a little tricky in the original language, and many other translations will actually word this as if the possession being received is us. In fact, if you have a New American Standard, if you have an NIV, uh, even the King James, you're seeing it right now. The wording's like, until we are acquired or until the redemption is fully uh, realized. In fact, there are basically two nouns here. Until he has received the possession of his redemption, which is us. So I just tell you that because they're both good translations. It, it simply proves further the point that this inheritance, it's something we are and it's something we receive. And both of those are guaranteed because of the Holy Spirit God has given. So let's kind of take these two words, can we? And let's just kind of form a single sentence that might help us kind of get our hands around this doctrinally. Again, I'm just kind of breaking apart these last two verses in the first 14 to kind of help us understand what it means to be sealed in Christ. We would say this about the Holy Spirit, that he's the proof of our position Remember the word authenticate? He verifies, he legitimizes. So he's the proof that we are in Christ of our position and he's the pledge of our possession. He's the down payment, the first installment. This is what the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And so we conclude by saying this, both of these are none other than the Holy Spirit of God. Now here's what I want you to see in this. This is very personal. Notice what's, what is it? what it does not say, what the text does not say to us. It doesn't say that Steve Leverett has a product ID number. It doesn't say that, you know, Dustin here is going to be, uh, have a barcode and go across some heavenly scanner one day when he enters heaven. In other words, th this is not a product type of understanding, which we sometimes think about that when we think of guarantees. This is very personal. God knows you. Now watch this church. And then God gave you himself. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God gave you himself as the assurance that you belong to him and that he belongs to you and that one day you'll be united in a visible, personal way in the consummated kingdom. How, how, how is all that going to happen? Are we sure? Yes, because he's given you of himself even in the present in the, in the Holy Spirit. 
It's very personal. And I love that about this passage. You're not some product number. You're not, you don't have a serial number. You're known by God and he's known by you. So that's why we rejoice in this doctrinal assertion here in these two verses. But I, I want to admit to you, there is something still lacking in this simple statement. It's not untrue, but we would say perhaps it's incomplete, at least based on the text that we're looking at. So let's keep our eyes in the book and let's notice where this statement falls short. Because what it's missing is the who element. It's missing um, the answer to the question, well, who gets this blessing of the Holy Spirit as a seal and guarantee? Who gets that blessing? Who gets that assurance and comfort and security and authenticity? Well, he answers that in a simple phrase at the beginning of verse 13. Again, put your eyes on the verse and notice what he says here. And I love the way he kind of inserts this before the main verb. Look at verse 13 again. In him you also, now he pauses and he says this, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him. Do you see what he's doing? He's qualifying and modifying both the pronoun you and the verb sealed. He's saying, who is it that's sealed? Here's the answer. Those who heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him. Only followers of Christ have the Holy Spirit. There's the answer. There's the, the who revelation. It's not just, you know, doled out indiscriminately. It's not just available to anyone. It's only to those who are in Christ, those who are believers. And the Bible here lays out for us what it means to be a believer. Look what he says. You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him. Notice the sequence of those words here. Heard, believed, sealed, and then later the word acquire. And that's the story of every believer, isn't it? In fact, will you in your mind just travel back to the day that God saved you? You heard the gospel. Maybe it was for the first time and the news of that just stirred your soul. It opened your eyes. You couldn't believe that someone would love you that much to come and live the perfect life that you should have lived but didn't then to die in your place when you should have died, and then to be raised again. This one named Jesus, who was Christ of the Old Testament, the Messiah, he did this for you. You heard this news, and you, you couldn't believe this was true, that your sins could be forgiven. God would take you from death to life, from slave to son, from bondage to freedom. How? And you heard the news, and then you believed in that. You took your stand on that news, on that truth called the gospel of your salvation. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15 that this is the gospel by which we are being saved. Remember that day when you heard that for the first time, the 100th time? But in that moment when you heard that news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, you believed and God saved you. And when God saved you, he sealed you. He gave you his Holy Spirit. By the way, these two words here, believed and sealed, they're not sequential in a grammatical sense. They're what we call coincident, which means they happen simultaneously. I say that to you because I think it's important to note something here. And this is, I wouldn't say I'll fight over this. It's not like a real close-fisted understanding, but I think it's scriptural understanding for maybe believing in a more proper way. And that is that the Holy Spirit, while he does continuously fill us, and because we leak, amen, church, 
We need to be being filled with the Spirit. I think that's Ephesians 5.18. I agree with that. I don't think the Scriptures teach a subsequent baptism of the Spirit after conversion. And here's a grammatical way, I think, to see this. That, he's, that Paul says here, believing and sealing are current, I would even say concurrent, simultaneous events. That when you're saved, the Holy Spirit indwells you and seals you. Now, yes, we need to keep being filled, but there's not a, a later moment in which you get some extra portion of the Holy Spirit in that way. This would say to us, both textually, grammatically, they're, they're simultaneous events. And this is the story of every believer. And then as you think about the last word, if it refers to us being acquired, man, it isn't a beautiful thought that after we've heard believe and have been sealed, then God will recognize us because of the Holy Spirit and he'll call us to himself and make us his possession. Or maybe it means that it refers to what we're going to receive as joint heirs with Christ and we'll acquire it then because of the work of Christ. Here's the beautiful truth. This is how you become a believer. And so that means this is how you receive the Holy Spirit. You hear the gospel, you believe it, you're sealed, and then that's the proof the assurance, the security, you'll receive the rest of the blessings later. So my question, my natural question is this. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Which is another way of asking, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you heard the gospel and believed it and experienced the salvation of the gospel? And now you're simply waiting with the down payment of the Holy Spirit for God to deliver the rest of the goods when he comes again. If you haven't, I would pastorally urge you to do today what many in this room, many who are watching have done and to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I never grow tired of rehearsing the gospel with you. I trust you never grow tired of hearing it. That God loved you, me, so much that he sent his one and only son to live a perfect life, die in our place as our Savior and as God's Son, and then be raised from the dead to prove He was God's Son and had the authority to forgive sins. And now to all who believe on the name of Christ, God offers full forgiveness. There's no body of evidence that shows the love of God more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning you're saying, I've been hearing this for a number of weeks been thinking about it, and this morning the Holy Spirit's really convicting you, opening your eyes to want to receive this gift of salvation. Can I just encourage you to pray something like this? Heavenly Father, I do believe that Christ is your Son and my Savior, and only through Jesus can I be right with you. So God, through the message and the truth about Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, would you this morning forgive me of my sin and make me a child of yours? Forgive me. I repent and trust in Jesus as the only way to be saved. And then God will give you his Holy Spirit. Or, I'll put it this way, he will save you. He'll give you a deposit. He'll give you a down payment. That's just the first installment of some great things to come. If this morning, right here in this room, or perhaps watching or listening, you've prayed that prayer, you've responded to God, would you just text me at this very moment? Would you take out your phone? And just text, I got saved to 94,000. It's just one of the ways that we're going to encourage you to respond to the Lord. Maybe you'll take the card in the back of the chair in front of you if you're alive in this room. Just put your name on it. 
just put a, a contact way, I'd love to reach out to you. Because right now, if this is you, if this morning you prayed to receive the Holy Spirit, believing the gospel of salvation, man, all heaven's throwing a party for you right now. And I want to rejoice with you as well. So, so this is really what's um, helping us understand uh, really what's going on in this kind of uh, take-home truth. So I think we should probably bring this to a, to a, a better understanding then. A statement I think will, will better help us understand the full point of the text. So let's add one phrase on the end that I think will give us a, a clearer view. That the proof of our position and the pledge of our possession, yes, is none other than the Holy Spirit of God. But watch this. Who is only given to those who are, say it church, in Christ. And now suddenly we're, we're kind of realizing, oh, so this is why... It's, it's such a blessing to be in Christ because this is one of the things that we receive. We receive the Holy Spirit and because we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive security, assurance, authenticity. And so can we begin to take a step back now and see this from a larger perspective? Because this is, again, just one of the blessings mentioned. When you look at all of them, begin to see all that God has done for us in Christ, you can see why he would end this first section, the first 14 verses, with the phrase, to the praise of his glory. Do you see that there in verse 14? Now notice what it comes after, would you? Look at your Bibles. This is the third usage of this phrase in the first 14 verses. And this one comes after a reference to the work of the Holy Spirit in sealing us and guaranteeing our inheritance. The previous one was mentioned after the work of the Son in redeeming us. And the first one was mentioned after the work of the Father in blessing us. Here's how you could put it in a chart form. So notice this, get a picture of it. We've shown you this before. But this helps you see really all 14 verses in a very Trinitarian and textually accurate way. That God has blessed those of us who are in Christ... He's the one doing the blessing. It's from him. It's through the Son, and it's by the Holy Spirit. And after each mention of the Godhead, he mentions this phrase, to the praise of his glory. And so really, as you kind of step back from the entire section, you begin to see everything God is doing is designed to, to conform us and to transform us and to make us into a people who are vertically aligned with him. Whose, whose purpose, whose goal is to reflect his glory. In fact, church, hear this well and make no mistake. All of God is aimed at making all of your life reflect his worth and weight. And I say it that way because in this text, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's one God in three persons. We're Trinitarians, Orthodox. But I think by understanding that every person in the Trinity, every person of our one God is aimed at this goal, that your life would be to the praise of his glory. We learned last week, this is a phrase that simply um, communicates vertical reflection, that your life should just, should resonate with the worth and the weight of God. And as I ended my study and understanding of these 14 verses, it hit me again. And this is what God is up to. In everything he's allowing and ordaining, 
in everything he's bringing into your life, he's working in your life. Every single thing, good and bad, is designed to make you as vertically aligned as possible with him so that your life resonates. It reflects his worth and weight. And I would remind you of this. You're only as horizontally helpful as you are vertically aligned. See, often we start with the horizontal, like, man, I want to do good and help people. And I think that's, a, that's good. But without being vertically aligned, we will be off in our motives. We'll be selfish in our pursuits. We'll have, an, you know, we'll have love with a hook. But when we get vertically aligned first, it's the surest way to make sure that we are the most helpful horizontally. I say it like this. Understanding your position in Christ first helps you adjust your perspective and practices so that you are the most helpful. And often we try to adjust our perspective and practices and we don't even know what our position is. And these verses have shown us you are in Christ if you have believed the gospel of your salvation. In fact, let me just encourage your heart. Let me remind you of this again. In these first 14 verses, there's not a single to-do for you. <laughs> Somebody say amen to that, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't your life just crammed full of to-dos? Don't you hate it when someone gives you one? Uh, yeah, you're right. Like, man, I mean, to-dos just kind of flank our life. But in this 14-verse section, there's not a single to-do for you. It's all about what God has done in Christ by his Spirit for you. It leaves me in the same place that I think the writer here was. Just you, just you find yourself verbally wanting to praise God. You want your life to be about His purposes. You want to be vertically aligned. You want every bit of God's work in both the Father, Son, and Spirit's perspective to really be just weighing in on you so that your life vertically reflects God's worth and weight. As you think about that and ponder the intent of this entire section, as well as the Holy Spirit's role in that, which is more of our aim today specifically, I want to say to you that I, I'm so happy that God is doing this in various pockets in our church. I'm sure there are multiple stories that I'm not even aware of that are happening. I love that. But here's a few that I think will make your heart just sing. I mean, they'll cause your soul to rejoice. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, I've had a, a couple approach me and said, Todd, um, we're not sure what God is leading in us, but, but we're willing to do whatever the next step is, even if it means going somewhere in some kind of capacity as a partner or missionary. Like, like we don't even know what that would be, but we're just saying our yes is on the table. Isn't that beautiful? Like, when you can say yes before you know the question, like, kudos to that, right? Just this morning, one of our young dads in our church came and said, I'm sensing, Todd, that there's something that God would have me do. I'm not sure what it is. Would you pray with me? Because I feel like it's going to involve a number of changes. And I, all I can say is I sense the Holy Spirit directing me um, in a way that I need to be ready for some major adjustments. And so I prayed with him. And he said, what makes this even, and I use the word stranger here, hear that well, is when I relate this to my wife, like, here's what I'm sensing. She goes, I'm sensing the same thing. And I'm sensing it for you. And she said, whatever God's telling you and us, we're in. He put his yes on the table before he knew the question as well. See, that's the Holy Spirit working in people, giving them assurance, confidence, security that they can follow him 
No matter what the next step may be, and God reveals things usually incrementally, progressively, and they're just saying we're in for the next right step. Man, those things encourage my heart. I hope they encourage yours. Here's even some other ones that I think have even more specifics. I learned this week of two of our uh, elementary children, brother and sister, one's kindergarten, one's preschool. Uh, They took their baby bottle, which they received a few weeks ago. We partnered with the Alpha Women's Center, and and, uh, every year we just give the baby bottles out to you guys. You fill them with change and bring them back. It's a way to support the work there of uh, saving babies. Well, the those two children took that very literally, amen. And so they began going door to door in their neighborhood, even online, asking folks to give to save the babies. That was their, their phrase. And their baby bottle got over $700 from all kinds of people. They brought it in last week and said, just our part in trying to save the babies. This is a kindergarten and a preschooler. I love it because they're, they're sensing the importance, the weight and the worth of God and they're adjusting their practices and perspective. They're saying, we want, to, we want our life to reflect and resonate God's worth and weight. I learned this week as well that we have two additional givers at First Family. One's a junior high boy and one's an elementary girl. Speaking of giving, these, these kids don't have jobs, okay? <laughs> they don't get W-2s. They don't get a paycheck. But somewhere in their family, in their home, they've watched mom and dad sacrificially give and I guess maybe through some odd jobs, maybe through some chores, maybe an allowance, I don't know. They said, oh, this is, this is some income from their perspective, but God's what gave it to us. And so we're going to give a portion back to the Lord sacrificially. And they're learning even in the junior high age and elementary age to give to and through their local church. I love that, don't you? I mean, that puts some of us adults to shame, doesn't it? Here their generosity showing forth. They don't have a job. They're seeing God's worth and weight his purposes and heartbeat. And they're saying, how can I adjust my practices, my perspective? I think perhaps one more would help here as well. Uh, after the men's conference last weekend, one of our young dads approached me. This was just three to four days ago. He said, man, I was thinking about the men's conference and what the Holy Spirit's been really working in me on. And he said, I, I just know that I need to be more quick to share my faith politely, timely, cordially, but I've got to open my mouth. And as we've said before in this church, to cross the threshold when it's time and not to hold back in fear, but just to to be a voice for the gospel when it's time. He said, I've just really been feeling convicted. That's my next step. He said, and so this week, man, um, the Lord just kept reminding me, share the gospel this week, share the gospel this week. And he said, we had some folks coming in to lay carpet in our house. And I was thinking, that's it. There's some carpet layers coming in. I want to share the gospel with them. So they came in, and it was going to be a one-day job. And he told me, so there were some conflicts. I couldn't get there. And then we had some, like, uh, different um, hurdles. And he said, the day ended, and I didn't even have a chance to share the gospel. And it's like, man, my one chance. I felt like the Holy Spirit's leading that way. And he said, I kind of blew it. And so he was wrestling with some guilt probably, you know. He said, but that night, I got a phone call from the carpet layers. And they said, oh, we didn't get it done after all. we got to come back. He's like, oh, great. Please do, right? And so he's going to, day two, like, I'm going to share with them day two. And he says, again, conflicts, hurdles. He said, you'll never believe this, Todd. He said, the day passed, and I didn't get to share with them. He said, man, I'm feeling terrible. Like, Lord, I do want to obey, but I'm not doing very good at this. He said, they called him and said, hey, we didn't get done. We left some tools. We're coming back for a third day. He's like, man, God, you're merciful. Like, thanks so much, right? On day three, he does. He meets him over there and he says, Todd, I just, 
kind of barreled through. And come to find out, they were both believers. He said, we had a chance to sit down and pray together. He said, now, I'm just taking that at face value, their, their, their testimony. He said, but here's the point. He said, I don't know that at the end of the day, God was so concerned, let me say this the right way, that God was trying to get me to be aware of their eternal destiny. I think that's part of the equation. He said, I think God was making sure I had ample opportunity to obey. You can't get that? I mean, here's this guy just growing in his walk with the Lord, sensing the Holy Spirit and just saying, I'll take the next step. And then when there's hurdles, instead of giving up, he's like, Lord, thanks for a second try. Thanks for a third try. And he's learning how to share his faith, to be bold with the gospel. So, so do you see what these things are? These are just examples of God's worth and weight, you know, kind of pressing in on us. That's the way it should be. Because all of God is, is, you know, aimed at making all of your life point to his glory, his worth and weight. So your decisions, your relationships, your finances, your time, they should all kind of bear the mark. I mean, God's weighed in on this. Is that your life? Are you hearing the Holy Spirit? And because of his work in your life, his sealing work, his guaranteeing work, his authenticating work, his securing work, and his assuring work, are you feeling empowered and emboldened to adjust your perspective and practices so that every bit of your life is vertically aligned and reflects the weight and worth of God who, when you believed, put you in Christ. What a blessing. Amen, church? That's the blessing that should occupy our attention and then adjust our practices and our perspective. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.